things. Okay, before we begin, let's pray. We'll be in chapter 23. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, that we can read your word and, and find the Lord Jesus Christ there. And even as Jesus opened up these very words that we're going to be reading tonight and taught through them in the temple courts and on the road to Emmaus and uh, out in the, the fields and the highways and the byways, Lord, and testified uh, that they were themselves a testimony of himself. We pray, Father, that we would see that very same thing this evening, Lord. I just pray that you bring us through your word this evening and we're able to, Lord, to start off our week with our hearts refreshed, with our hearts ready to go out and live for you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we left off last week in chapter 22. Josiah, he was the grandson of Manasseh, uh, came into power. Manasseh had ruled for about 50 years or 55 years, something like that. He was the most evil king in all of Israel's history. You put the kings in the north and the kings in the south, you put them all together, by far uh, the most evil king in the history of Israel. Chapter 21, just a painful chapter in the Bible to read. I mean, he was just this guy who, uh, his father was a godly man, Hezekiah, but he just rebelled in the, in the biggest way. And you read through the chapter and you get a sense I don't know if you've all been a, a time of sort of rebellion in your own life like this. You get a sense that he just wanted to go for it in, in, in the sort of the deepest way. You know, how, how can I just rebel even more than I ever have in my life? And, and as you go through chapter 21, what a, what a tragic chapter uh, to, to read. And then, and, and, but in chapter 22, after uh, Manasseh's son Ammon reigned for just two years, Josiah comes in, and here we probably have the most righteous king who ever lived in terms of uh, a man who didn't go to the right or to the left. Man, this guy just went forward uh, and just such an encouragement reading about this, this man's life. And we, we left off uh, last time where uh, Josiah... Uh, found the book of the law. Actually, one of his priests, one of the high priests, found the book of the law in the temple. It had been lost the, during the reign of Manasseh. Manasseh actually filled up the temple with all kinds of idols and got rid of the word of God. He got rid of it. And he confiscated it and destroyed it. There was just one <clears throat> copy really left and it had been hidden somewhere in the temple. People had forgotten about it. You know, it's... We forget, but it's really hard to understand sometimes of just how far down sort of the downward spiral of sin can, that, that, a, that can happen in a country in 50 years. I mean, that is an amazing amount of time of 50 years of just a king, Manasseh, just sowing wickedness. For 50 years, again, uh, we think, you know, one president gets into power for four years and, uh, you know, they sow evil. And in four years, you can sometimes see what happens. But 50, and I think it was like 55. And so one of the things that had happened is the word of God had been lost, had been completely lost. 
and uh, it was recovered. And uh, so they, they recovered the, the, the Word of God, and it wasn't the, a situation where they said, oh, wow, look at this really interesting uh, museum piece. Let's uh, put it in a glass case and uh, let's charge people uh, drach- some drachmas or shekels or whatever that it was uh, uh, then uh, to go and <clears throat> see this, um, this, this law. No, he read the whole thing. Verse 11 of chapter 22, actually, they read it all in the presence of the king, and it says that he tore his clothes because he realized, oh my goodness, we have been disobeying every jot and tittle of this. We have forgotten the word of God. We have, haven't been obeying it, and, and he realized, just because he had a strong sense of the holiness of God, uh, we are in big, big trouble if we don't uh, repent, if we don't seek the Lord. And remember, uh, this morning, actually, we were in Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 7, where it talks, to, it talks about uh, real godly repentance, as opposed to uh, sort of elephant tears, worldly repentance, real godly uh, repentance. And it's really a picture of, of what we're going to see in the life of Josiah tonight. Again, uh, verse 11 of chapter 7 of Second Corinthians, what diligence it produces, what indignation meaning just a hatred of the ugliness of the sin in, 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 his, in the life of Israel. That's why he tore his clothes. What clearing of himself, meaning, and we'll see that in the life of Josiah, that uh, he, he set out to clear Israel of the bad name it had developed uh, for itself by just reforming the land and clearing out all the idols and having people uh, really seek the Lord. Uh, uh, verse 11 continues in chapter 7 of Second Corinthians. What fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. And so uh, we really uh, see a picture of this uh, in the life of Josiah. And then we read uh, that he went to the prophetess. What was her name again? What prophetess did Josiah go to? Come on. Huldah. Huldah. Okay, someone in the next five years, one of you women, I want you to will you name your, your, your daughter, Hulda, great name. You're going to start a trend, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I read, by the way, in the year 1900, the most popular name. Anyone have any guesses? Ida Rose. I don't know. Okay, that's, my kids would say that's really random of you, Dad, to bring that up. But Ida Rose uh, and, and, and 1900 was the most popular name. But maybe, maybe Hulda, that'll be, we'll start a trend there. But anyway, so they go to the prophetess Hulda. Uh, this is a time where Jeremiah was a prophet. I believe so was Micah. But he goes to uh, a woman, the prophet Hulda, and, and she says, there will be peace in your time. Because of your heart, your great heart for the Lord, Josiah, but judgment is coming because so much wickedness has been sown in this land. And not only that, as we learned, that though Josiah was a man who really followed the Lord, uh, many of the people uh, in his reign did not. And what did we say? They were like sailboats. Three different kinds of boats in the body of Christ. What did we say? Rowboats. People you have to push and pull and drag to come to church. 
You know, my wife drugged me to church this morning sort of deal. Uh, those are the rowboats. Then there's the sailboats. And, you know, you change course. They change course no matter what uh, the wind, how the wind is blowing. Oh, you know, oh, wow, you know, uh, Calvary Chapel in the city, it's a cool place to be. I'll be here tomorrow, but next, uh, the next week, I'm not sure where I'm going to be. And they just sort of test the wind. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, said of this particular time in the life of Josiah, he said, to the people, you cry out, the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, uh, but your heart is not there. And so once they saw their king going to the temple, it was real popular for them to go. But it wasn't because of the conviction in their own heart. They were sailboats. They just went wherever the wind was. And then there's steamboats, uh, those people who make up their mind uh, that they're going to follow, they're going to go full on for the Lord, and they just do it. And that's how Josiah was, a tremendous uh, encouragement but uh, the, the prophetess did say there was going to be judgment in the land. And as we said, many people would, might have said, well, if there's going to be judgment coming anyway, what's the purpose of going out into the world, uh, into Israel, and trying to change things, trying to change people? If, if we're going to be overrun by our enemies, what's the point of doing any of that? And you do hear people saying crazy kind of things like that in the body of Christ. Well, you know, Jesus is coming. The Bible says the world's going to get worse and worse uh, before his coming. And look how bad it is out there. You know, let's all just huddle up in some bunkers and just wait on him coming. You know, what's the point of going out into all the world? No, uh, the, the opposite uh, is the case, uh, that we're supposed to be about the Lord's business. Actually, turn really quickly to Luke. Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 18 is so very clear that until the Lord returns, we're supposed to be about his business. And Josiah, we'll see uh, in the next chapter, chapter 23 of Second Kings, was such a wonderful example of that. But in Luke chapter, uh, in Luke chapter 18, hmm. wrong, 19. Go to Luke chapter 19. It says the parable of the minas. And verse 11, it says, now as they heard these things, Jesus spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. How relevant is this? (laughs) That's exactly the point here. It says, that, again, he was near Jerusalem, and because they, his disciples, thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas. That's a, a, monetary, uh, a monetary weight that, that he was giving them. And said to them, do business until I come. So there you have it. We're supposed to be about the Lord's business until He comes. Verse 14, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had, uh, had gained by trading. And then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. So he doubled his money. 
Verse 17, he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, having authority over ten cities. Have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. And likewise, he said, uh, You also be over five cities. So he's rewarding him. Then another came, saying, Master, here's your mina, which I have kept uh, put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you do not deposit. You reap what you do not sow. And so the master said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I do not sow. Why then did you uh, not put my money in the bank that I may uh, come and collect it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and, and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have even what he will be taken away, he has, will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. And so uh, Jesus, uh, the, we're supposed to be faithful to the very end. Again, it says uh, in verse 13, do business until I come. And so Josiah was told that Israel was going to be overrun, completely overrun. But what we see in in chapter 23 is a man who says, well, you know something? In order to be faithful to the Lord, I'm going to go out and I'm going to uh, be about his business. Verse 1 of chapter 23 of 2 Kings says this, Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which has been found in the house of the Lord. And so he got together with him all the men of Judah. This is tens of thousands of people. And he has the law, the entire law, five first books of the Old Testament. He reads the whole thing. You guys think my sermons are long. I mean, can you imagine this? He reads the whole five books. Uh, first five books of, of the Bible. And so um, he, he doesn't say, oh, we're going to be overrun. You know, this prophetess has said that we're wicked. Let's just uh, give up. And what's the point of going out and ministering and, and going out into all the world and making disciples of all nations? Uh, I'm just going to hang out in my palace. No, he brings everyone to him and reads uh, the law. It says in verse 3, Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord, to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people took a stand for the covenant. And so the, 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 the word of God, the book of the law had been discovered. Had been discovered, had been put away by Manasseh. Now if you even look at the history of the church over the last 2,000 years, you will see this pattern. As the church goes into decline, the word of God is lost. I grew up in a church. For the first 15, 16 years of my life, I grew up in churches. 
They didn't emphasize the Word of God. We didn't read the Word of God. No one talked about it. Uh, they were not churches I would characterize as Christian churches. They didn't believe the Word. The Word of God was, the Bible was not the Word of God. And so it was not emphasized. They told stories every Sunday morning that gave you a warm feeling in your heart. But it wasn't the Word of God. It had been hidden. They had hidden it away. And so this, this is what happens actually throughout human history. And so really for for hundreds of years in the Middle Ages, very, very few, except a small remnant, uh, were reading the Word of God. But here you have, but to the contrary, when there's revival, there's always a re-emphasis in the Word of God. The, the Word of God is brought out into the open, and it's declared uh, openly on the streets, not just in private. Uh, openly on the streets. And that is a lot to, to learn, really, about revival. We're all praying about revival in Boston. There's a lot we can learn about uh, fr- uh, from the life of Josiah about uh, revival. So he uh, declares it uh, in the presence of all the people. Another thing that always comes with revival is repentance. And we talked about this last time. Now, a lot of people talk about revival uh, from time to time, but really when you look through it, there's no substance there. It's just people getting really, really emotional and excited. But there's no repentance there. Where there is revival, there will always be repentance, meaning people turning away from their lifestyle, turning away from their old life, and seeking the Lord, and following the Lord, and obeying the word. And so that's what the king does in verse 4. He says, he commanded Hilkiah the high priest, the priests of the second order, and the doorkeepers, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven, and he burned them outside Jerusalem and the fields of Kidron, and carried their ashes to Bethel. And so part of what needed to be repented of was there was all kinds of strange things in God's temple. Manasseh, his grandfather, and and some of the previous kings had put altars to other gods and all kinds of crazy stuff. So he's taken them all out. And when a person first comes to the Lord, uh, they need to go through their house. And, 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 you know, it's because there's some, there's some CDs in there, there's maybe some magazines in there, and there may be just a lot of other trash in there that needs to be taken out and burned in the, in the Kidron Valley, you know, like, like what happened here. Where there's revival, there is repentance. Revival is so much more than just excitement uh, and emotion. Verse 5, then he removed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places. And so Manasseh had just done the same thing that Jeroboam had done in the north three or four hundred years before. He had just created his own religion. He had just, you know, forget about the worship of God. Let's bring in some priests and ordain them. And he's just making up his own religion. And so Josiah removes these people. And it says there, it says he removed these priests who had burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellation, and to all the hosts of heaven. Verse 6, And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook Kidron, and ground it into ashes, and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. 
Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. So all kinds of weird superstition is going on here. They've been building these wooden images. Their women were like making hangings there. And it says that he removed the booths of the perverted persons. Do a word study. That word perverted, that means a... Uh, uh, a prostitute, but actually a male prostitute, a prostitute who, who uh, prostituted himself in, it was sodomy, a male prostitute, and they, they set up booths around the land. And they, Josiah went through and just eliminated all these things. So, he, it, so there's, you know, there's repentance here. There's people, he's really turning the, the nation or doing everything in his power to turn them back to the Lord. Verse 8, and he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and, def- and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates which were at the um, entrance of the gate of Joshua. Verse 9, nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. So there were places where people would sort of hide out and, and, and do their own thing. Now, verse 10, it says, and he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no, no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire of Molech. And so what that is talking about was people under Manasseh and previous kings even were passing their kids and sacrificing them, child sacrificing, murdering them uh, to the fire of Molech. Again, there was a, uh, a, bra- a bronze statue the arms of this god were heated up to hundreds and hundreds of degrees, and they would just put the, 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 the babies, the children on them, and they would sacrifice them. And so he's eliminating abortion is what he's doing. This is really a righteousness here. He's going out into the land, and he's, he's, uh, he's really emphasizing repentance here and turning back uh, to the Lord. And it says, and it, verse 10 again, it says, and he defiled Topheth. Now, Topheth was the word for drum. It's the same as a Hebrew word for drum. And what they would do uh, during these rituals is they would they bang on the drums and, and, and sort of like a religious ritual things, they would uh, bang on the drums. And so the screams of the, of the babies who were being sacrificed would not be heard. And that was what was going on here. Now, in the same, this exact same valley, for those of you who care about uh, these things, this valley of the son of Hinnom, this was the same valley. It was called Gehenna. Gehenna. Which over time came to be another word for hell. Jesus actually uses Gehenna as a, another word for hell. It was the place of burning it was just this very, uh, this very valley where they used to sacrifice uh, children. Such a terrible, terrible tragedy. But Josiah comes through and wipes the thing out. Verse 11, then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. So, you know, you just read through this and there's just all this weirdness, all this superstition. 
of verse 13, Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south side of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Astra, the abomination of the Sidonians. And so remember, Solomon went bad at the end of his reign, and uh, because of his wives, had turned his heart against the Lord. And so uh, all this stuff had just, no one had the boldness, not even Hezekiah, not, not, not even some of the other righteous kings had the boldness to go and just tear this stuff down. And so this guy is really, again, he is a steamboat. I mean, he is just going forward, and nothing's going to stop him. Uh, and so, and, and you see this uh, throughout the, the chapter. It says here that uh, in verse 16, as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were on the mountain, and he, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed uh, the, uh, these words. And so, actually, if you could just back up to verse 15, it says, Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and at the high place where Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, had made. And, and so he broke that down and crushed it, and then he took some ashes and threw it on the altar, uh, threw it on this burnt altar. And so this was an incredibly radical thing because what he's done here in verse 15, he's left the southern kingdom. He has left Judah. Remember that 300 years before, the, the, the nation had been united under King David and also under King Solomon, under Solomon's son. Ten tribes went to the north. Two tribes, including Judah and Benjamin, stayed in the south. And from that time on, uh, the north just, they went, they went incredibly wicked, and they just went and followed other gods, and they declined, and finally they were wiped out. But for the most part, the kings in the south, they never ventured into the north. Now, by this time, the north had been wiped out, but Josiah, knowing that a remnant of Israel was still up there, remember, most of them had been taken off and dispersed into Assyria, but uh, he knew that a remnant was still in the north, so he crosses the borders of his country. He goes back to where these original altars were set up by Jeroboam, and he destroys them. Now, for those of you who have really been paying attention and have an incredible memory, you will remember uh, back in, where was it, uh, Second Kings... Was it Second Kings chapter thirteen verse two? Let me see. Second Kings? No, it was First Kings. First Kings chapter thirteen verse two, where Jeroboam, remember, he takes the people up north. He tells them they can't go to Jerusalem to worship God. They can't go to the temple to worship God because they'd be going to a different country. He doesn't want them to go anymore. So he sets up a golden calf. And in verse 2 of chapter 13, it says, A man of God came uh, up to Bethel, and he said, he, and the, the man of God prophesied against the altar, the pagan altar that Jeroboam had set up. It says in verse 2, O altar, O altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by the name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And so this is 300 years 
before Josiah was born. And his name is being declared here by a prophet. We don't know the man's name. But he's being declared. And, and what did Jeroboam say? He says, arrest that man and kill him. And as soon as they uh, arrested the prophet, his, his hand withered. And so Jeroboam said, hey, wait, let him go. And he asked uh, the prophet to pray for him, and his hand w- uh, became better. Still didn't repent, but this is 300 years uh, before where we are in chapter 23 of Second Kings. I know this stuff's a little hard to, to follow, but uh, here you have that prophecy 300 years later where he's taking ashes and he's throwing them and he's destroying this, uh, destroying this altar that had been put up 300 years before. And then verse 17 says, Then uh, Josiah said, What gravestone is this that I see? So the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And Josiah said, Let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they uh, let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who had come from Samaria. So this prophet who had come from Samaria to prophesy against Jeroboam, they let his bones be. The rest of them were burned up and thrown on the, 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 the altar to the pagan gods. And so, crazy time here. But uh, Josiah goes up into the north, and he even uh, he, he, he's implementing reform there. He's trying to get the people to turn back to God. He's going out to the, into you know, all the world here. Remember when jo- uh, Jonah went into Nineveh, it, it was the shortest sermon in the history of sermons. He said, in, in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. That was it. But they repented. They repented. They turned to God. And they were not destroyed. And so this was also... Josiah's heart here. He's heard about the judgment, but he's going out and he's doing whatever he can to try to get the people to turn back to the, to the Lord. In verse 21, it says, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. In verse 22, Such a Passover surely has never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. So Manasseh had hidden the word of God. He had confiscated all the scrolls and burned them up. And uh, unfortunately, unfortunately for him, uh, one of, he was not successful. One was preserved. But in addition to that, he had eliminated Passover. Now, Passover was looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Remember the Passover feast was... Uh, originated when the angel of the Lord went throughout all the houses in Egypt and blood was put in over. Uh, the, they commanded the Israelites to put the, the blood of the lamb uh, above the door and the angel of death passed over all their houses. And that's just like that was looking forward to Jesus. So every time they celebrated the Passover feast, they were looking forward to Jesus. We, with our communion, look back to Jesus. That the blood was shed and the blood is on our lives, and that there's only one way to forgiveness, and that is the blood of Jesus over us. And, and, and so Passover was their communion. They were looking forward. We look backward with communion, but again, Manasseh had eliminated it. And so they you know, reinstituted the Passover. 
And so, you know, this is what happens when a nation, a people, just start going their own way. You know, the, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. In the end, it just leads to the death of the word of the Lord, the death of following after God. It leads to the death of everything that's good and pure and, and, and righteous. And that's what had happened in Israel. So here you have uh, Josiah going through all the land. Verse 25, now before Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses nor after him did any rise like him. So he's, this guy is, man, he was full on for the Lord. He was a steamboat. Verse 26, Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the fierceness of his great wrath, with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my sight. I have removed Israel and will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen in the house of which I said, my name shall be there. So God, remember, originally told the Israelites when they came out of Egypt into the promised land, he said, I want my name in Jerusalem, meaning I want my temple in Jerusalem. But after four or five hundred years of just outright rebellion, Jerusalem was to be basically wiped off the map. The Babylonians are going to come in and we're going to wipe it off. They're going to burn the whole city down. And, uh, and not even this, this revival under Josiah, because it was really only a partial revival, uh, that did not ward off sort of the, the judgment of God because many people in the country were, were still just doing their own thing. Verse 28, Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So that's where we're going next, Chronicles. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the aid of the king of Assyria to the river of Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. And then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoaz, the son of Josiah, anointed him and made him king in his father's place. So, now this one, this, this, these verses here, really, they always confused me. You know, why, why would the Lord allow such a righteous man like Josiah to be taken away and killed in battle against a pagan king, a pharaoh? who was a really wicked guy himself, Pharaoh Necho. Why would that ever happen? You know, we read in Second Chronicles 35, I believe, that Josiah was warned not to go up against this guy. He was warned in, in chapter 35 of Second Chronicles uh, not to meddle in in this, and it says that Joseph, and actually the Pharaoh himself says, "Look, don't meddle in this fight." So if the Pharaoh was going up and he was battling the Assyrians. Has ne- the Assyrians had nothing to do with Israel? And in Second Chronicles thirty-five, it says Josiah hearkened not unto the word of God. 
So in that instance, the word of God actually came through this, this pagan king, Pharaoh, and Josiah, the, as righteous as he was, he, he wanted to intervene, and he didn't hear, he didn't listen to, to God's voice. And, you know, I, I really thought a lot about this because I have just a, a tendency just to meddle in, in business a lot of times that I have no business meddling in. You know, we, we sometimes think of ourselves that we're God's gift to every single problem within 100 miles of us. You know, there's a problem somewhere that, oh, we got to go and, and, and God's going to use us in it. This battle that Josiah, this place that Josiah got killed, it was in his country. He was ruler over the country. So it's only natural to think, well, look, if this Egyptian army is going through my country, shouldn't I go out and do something about it? Well, the answer was no. And so again, it just really emphasizes the importance of your devotion life with the Lord, of being in the Word every day, of praying every day, of learning how to listen to the still, small voice of God. As you mature in your faith, it will become so crystal clear. Just have a piece of whether to go left or the right. And here you have a a situation where what Josiah did made all the sense in the world. Uh, 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 enemy had, was in his country. <laughs> they were in his country. But God was telling him, no, I don't want you in that. And so we're only going to hear from the Lord in that way if we're in his word and we're in a devotion time and we learn to listen to his voice. The Bible says, be transformed, Romans 12, 1 and 2, by the renewing of your mind so that you will learn to prove God's will for your life. The only way you are going to be able to understand in a situation like this where it seemed like a great idea, but God didn't want him to do it, is if you're in the Word. If, you're in a rich, if you have a rich devotion time uh, with the Lord. And so this very, very godly man was cut off. And... You just know when he gets cut off, it's over for Israel. And it was. Verse 31, Jehoaz was 23 years old when he became king and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamatol, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. So he only reigned for three months, but um, he, was, he was evil it says, verse 33, Pharaoh Necho put him in prison at Riblah. And in verse 34, it says, Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim the son of Josiah. So this guy's brother. So the Pharaoh came and took, took Josiah's son, Jehoaz, imprisoned him and put his brother in place as a king there. Now his, his brother's name... Uh, verse 35, it says, uh, the, actually, Pharaoh changed his name to Jehoiakim. So he was born Eliakim. The Pharaoh changed his name to Jehoiakim. And, and he gave a tribute to uh, Pharaoh. In other, in other words, Pharaoh was basically saying, look, unless you 
give me silver and gold and such and such amount every year. I'm going to come and wipe you out. And so that's what he did. And verse 37, it says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. In, verse, in chapter 24, it says, in, in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. So what had happened is Nebuchadnezzar had gone and wiped out Pharaoh Necho. It was really the change of the power structure at the time where Assyria was a big power. Nebuchadnezzar went and, and beat up on Assyria then went up and uh, des- destroyed uh, Pharaoh. And then he, on his way back, he goes through Jerusalem and he turns Jerusalem into his vassal. So Jerusalem, Jehoiakim, goes from being a vassal of Egypt to a vassal of Nebuchadnezzar. And verse 2, it says, And the Lord sent against him, Jehoiakim, bands of Chaldeans, that's Babylonians, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants of, of the prophets. So you know, we've been reading for... Months now with prophets going to Judah, going to Israel, saying, look, if you guys don't turn from your sin, if you don't turn from your rebellion, you will be overrun by your enemies. And so now here we have it in just a few verses. It's just happening. And, and the whole nation is, is just being wiped out here. Uh, surely, verse 3, at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, also because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. And so you see this guy, Manasseh's name, come up actually again and again. And we had read a few weeks ago about another man by the name of Jonadab, whose sons were still walking with the Lord three, four, five hundred years after he lived. So your life can have that effect. That's what we talked about when we were talking about Jehonadab. How important it is to raise your kids in righteousness. There can be such a long history of righteousness in your line, the people who come after you, descendants. But guess what? Sin, evil, same thing. You know, if you sow evil, if you sow wickedness, generations after you, there's still going to be misery, or there may be still misery. And that's what's happening here. Manasseh's been gone for, I don't know, by this time, 70 years or something like that, but there's still misery in the land because of all the evil that he had sown, all the evil that he had sown. And so uh, at this time, uh, just going on, verse 8, Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king. So Je- Jehoiachin, so this is Jehoiakim's son. This really gets confusing now because their names all sound the same. It gets uh, really crazy. Verse 9, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, came against the city as his servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers went to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoners. Verse 13. And he, Nebuchadnezzar, carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord, 
and the treasures of the king's house, and he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, all the craftsmen, none remained except the poorest people of the land. So there's one advantage of being poor. People don't hassle you, you know? (laughs) Hassle everyone else, but not you. They'll leave you alone. Uh, But anyway, so what the Babylonians did when they they took over a city is they would take and remove people and take them back to Babylon, the educated classes, the upper classes, the, the wealthier classes of people. It was at this time that four guys were taken from Jerusalem, young men, back to Babylon. Who were they? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we'll, we'll read more about them later on. But Daniel, the prophet Daniel, at this time, very young man, was uh, taken back uh, to Babylon. And, and uh, then it says, verse 17, And the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Joachim's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. So this was a popular thing to do then, by the way. When a king took over a, a place, he'd put someone in power and change his name. And it was almost a way of communicating to the person that, Look, I'm like your father. Because I gave you your name. And uh, that's what happened uh, with Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the, uh, really the, the last king of Israel, of Judah. And, and we read a lot about Zedekiah in the book of Jeremiah. It says in verse 19, He also did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out of his presence. And then in, at the end of verse 20, it says, Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Now, that's a pretty amazing thing. Zedekiah, who had been placed in power by Nebuchadnezzar, he rules for about 10 years or something like that, and then he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. This is like if a small, small, you know, like Samoa or something like that, saying, oh, we don't want to be a part of the United States anymore. We're going to rebel. And if they come, we're just going to defeat them. That is how, that is what pride can do to a human heart. If you go into the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, you will see that he was surrounding himself with with men who were just whispering lies into his ear. You know, rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. You can win. You're a mighty man. And, and they were just uh, flattering him and fawning over him. And meanwhile, the whole time, Jeremiah's like, no, you guys got to accept your consequences. You're going to be here for 70 years. You need to submit to the king of Babylon. And the people would hear the prophet Jeremiah uh, these men, these betrayers, and they would say, this guy, he is, you know, he's committing treason. That's why they threw him in the bottom of the well and they tortured him. And, and, and remember again this morning, what was one of the things that characterizes godly repentance? You guys remember? What's one of the things that characterizes godly repentance? 
submitting to consequences. Again, in verse 11, it says, what vindication. In other words, someone who is uh, really repenting, they're really turning their life around. That word vindication is the same Greek word for punishment. They're willing to accept their punishment. And if anyone ever deserved to be punished, it was Israel. (laughs) And, And just all the things that they had heaped up all the offenses, all the wickedness under Manasseh and the kings before him and, and also after. They needed to accept their consequences and they were told by the prophets, listen, you guys, you're going to be living under this king for 70 years, this king Nebuchadnezzar. There's not, not going to be an Israel during that time. They say, well, I'll reestablish you at a later time, but you have to submit to your punishment. You always know someone's really not repentant. They're really not serious about getting right with the Lord if they're trying to weasel their way out of the consequences that it's only fair that they're receiving them because they're the ones uh, that uh, had sown the sin, sown the wickedness. And so uh, this guy, Zedekiah, who was at this point, again, all... His, the, the strong classes of the army, everyone had been carted away. And this guy thinks he's going to beat Nebuchadnezzar? But, you know, I hope that, I, I hope that th- this word, this, is, this word, you know, when we go through the Bible, it's not just to point fingers at people in the Bible. Oh, how foolish they are. Let this be a warning to your heart. Let this be a warning to my heart. It's a warning to my heart that, again, if I'm not... If I'm not paying attention to God, if I'm not in His Word, if I'm not with the body of Christ going to church, I'm not um, I'm praying to the Lord, I'm going to start believing these crazy things about myself. Just crazy things. You know, it's amazing what pride will do in the human heart and the stupid things that we'll do because of our pride, because we've just become, again, convinced that. You know, we're just some special person and and we go off and we do things that are just completely outside of the will of God. And that's what Zedekiah does Uh, at the end of verse 20 of chapter 24. He says he rebelled against uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 25, now it came to pass in the uh, ninth year of his reign in the tenth month of the tenth day that Nebuchadnezzar and all his army came against him. So, man, you know, you rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, you are going to pay, man. And and that's what happened. It says they built a siege wall against it. So the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. So for two years, they are, you know, there's a wall around Jerusalem at the time. And they're sieging it. And they're not letting any food in. They're not letting any water in, and and the people are starving inside uh, the wall there. And it says that uh, in verse four, it's in verse three. It says, by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Verse four. Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night. This is a loyal king for you, you know. Takes off. This is a good shepherd, right? He takes off, leaves his leaves his sheep to be destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, and he takes off at night and and tries to uh, steal away in the middle of the night. So it says that he he went through uh, the... He went through the city wall. 
and he tried to escape and break through this line of soldiers around him, and he was unsuccessful. It says in verse 5, the Chaldeans, Chaldeans is another word for Babylonians, pursued the king and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho and all his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah and they pronounced judgment on him. Then the king says, rather, then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. They put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord, the king's house, all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. So, really tragic time here. Jerusalem is basically flattened. Reminds me a lot of what happened in 70 A.D. Jesus was entering Jerusalem. He was on a a sort of a a hill or something overlooking it. And he was going in. He knew he was going to be crucified. It was just a few days before he was going to be arrested. And it says he began to weep. And And it says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he said, How I have longed to gather you as a hen gathers its chick underneath its its wings. But you would have none of it. And then he goes on to prophesy, it says, saying that not one stone will be left upon another. You're going to be completely destroyed. And then he goes on and he says, why? Because you did not, you did not realize the time of your, of your visitation, meaning the visitation of God, God, the Son of God. They didn't realize that, that, that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, had come and they rejected him. And so in 70 A.D., all that came to pass. Jerusalem again was flattened. This reminds me a lot of that. The Romans came in in 70 A.D. and flattened Jerusalem just as Jesus said would happen. Here, hundreds of years before, same thing had happened here. The Babylonians came in and, uh, and flattened Jerusalem. Verse 11, then the captain of the guard carried away captive the rest of the people. So this is the third deportation. Verse 12, but the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. And so then it just goes on to talk about how all the, all the anything left in the temple uh, was taken away. In verse 22, it says, they made Jedaliah, the son of Ahakim, the son of Shaphan, governor over the people who remained in the land. And so this... Gedaliah guy was actually a friend of Jeremiah. He was a friend of Jeremiah. But this was just a lawless time. And it says that, verse 23, Gedaliah tried to convince the people to accept the consequences and just submit peacefully for a period, again, of 70 years, just as the prophets had said, And he says in verse 24 to the people, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. But it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama of the royal family, came with ten men and struck and killed Jedaliah, the Jews, as well as the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. So Jeremiah's friend 
wiped out. So this is just a lawless time. There's just lawlessness just reigning in the land at a time, you know, King David used to reign, where just righteousness and prosperity just used to reign. Everyone had their own fig tree, the Bible says. They had their own vineyard. People went to Jerusalem three times a year to worship God. None of that. That's all been silenced. There's nothing left, just lawlessness. Just really, really tragic. Verse 27, it says, Now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Joachim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, so he was Nebuchadnezzar's son, I believe, he released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim changed from his prison garments and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. A really interesting way they end this book. It, 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 it ends the book with really a picture of hope. Here, you have this king, Jehoiakim. He had only reigned what? How long was it? Just a, a few months or something like that. Yeah, he had just. And Nebuchadnezzar came in and arrested him and took him back. He sat in prison for years and years and years. He just sat in prison, and I think he was in prison for, what, 30 years or, or something like that. And uh, after, yeah, 37 years he was in prison, but Jehoiakim, I mean, the, this, this new king, Nebuchadnezzar's son, evil Merodach, and I wouldn't recommend you naming your son that, evil Merodach, but uh, remembers that he's got this king of Judah down there. He's been sort of rotting away there at least in the eyes of the world, for 37 years, brings him up to his table and sits at his table for the rest of his life. What a picture of mercy. Now, the scholars disagree on what actually happened here. Some think it was because for a, a brief time, historians tell us that this king, evil Merodach, was himself imprisoned. And so he had... He had uh, some compassion on him, but I don't think that's... That's uh, what it was. Pagan rulers were not compassionate people at all. I prefer, actually, some Jewish scholars believe that none other than Daniel had converted this man, had converted him to the Lord, had converted him to God. I mean, why else would he do something like that? I mean, which goes completely contrary to how ancient kings treated each other, treated their vanquished enemies. And so... Uh, it is believed that Daniel led this guy to the Lord, to a knowledge of the living God. And that's why he goes and, and, and he does this just amazing thing. And he, he, he invites this uh, king up into his presence. And so this book, which in many respects, I mean, man, it's like reading about the Wild West. There's a lot of ups and downs. But it ends with just a tremendous picture of hope, even, I would say, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. 
when Isaiah the prophet prophesies about the coming of Jesus, he, he said he would rescue the prisoners. He would rescue the prisoners. And what he was really referring to was not prisoners who were literally in prison, the Messiah, will you come, but people who were imprisoned in their sin, enslaved by their sin. And so we live for years and years rotting away with a life of sin, a life of rebelling against the Word of God, seemingly forgotten by everyone. But Jesus reaches down to the muck and the mire and he picks us up and he places us on a rock. That's what he does. And this is a foreshadowing of it. I just love the Word of God. It always... There's always, even in the midst of a terrible, terrible, tragic time here, there's always that dawn, that light coming in the darkness, which gives us so much hope. And there is so much hope with, with, with Jesus Christ. Okay, so we finish out the Second Kings. We'll be in Chronicles uh, next week. I'm going to close in prayer, but before I do, we will... For those of you who are interested, we will be returning here in 15 minutes right here in this room and praying. And each week we pray about a ministry that we support. This week I'd like to pray for the work that's going on down in Peru but I'd also like to pray. We have some very critical things to pray about. We are very, very close to starting up a new after-school Bible club uh, and the projects down the street. We, it looks like we have gotten a couple places where we can go. And so that just needs prayer, just to bring that to fruition. There's a real important meeting or two this week on that. We'd really like you guys to pray for that. And we're actually very excited about that. It is such a privilege to go in there into the projects and offer hope to those children, teaching them about the Lord. And also for Peru, and I'll give the, the, the prayer team this, but Pastor Jaime, who some of us know, who we went down to Peru last summer on our missions trip, is a praise because he is was kicked out of one building, but he's back in another and uh, he's, he's doing well there. And they're back in their home after the earthquake. Remember, there was an earthquake. The day after we left, there was an earthquake, and their home was destroyed, and he's back in his home. Also, request, they are starting a church in another city. It's called Ica. So pray about a church plant in the city of Ica, and as well, they will be continuing the construction, which actually we uh, worked on at a local school. So pray for the continuation of that construction. <coughs> so that's what um, we're going to be praying about this evening. If you'd like to uh, go home and get your beauty sleep, please do. But if you'd like to return in prayer, we'd love that too. Let's, call, let's close in prayer right now. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the, the picture of hope that we have in Christ, Lord. And Father, I just pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that for the grace for every person, every man and woman and child in here, Lord, to 
live our lives, Lord, in that grace, that we'd be strengthened by grace, that we'd uh, shake off the shackles of our imprisonment, all those shackles that sin and the world and Satan will just bind our life with, Lord. We thank you that in Christ we're free. Lord, your word says, to anyone I set free is free indeed. And Lord, we just do declare and praise you this, this evening, Lord. We are free. We're free in you. We praise you for that, Lord. And Father, I pray also for the grace for everyone in here, Lord, to be a steamboat, not a rowboat, not a sailboat, not someone that needs to be dragged here and there or, or who just goes wherever the wind is blowing, but a steamboat. Men and women who just go forward with you, Lord. I just pray that, Lord, in the name of Jesus. God, I just pray for safety for everyone leaving here. I pray by your grace, by the Holy Spirit, Lord, who lives within us, Lord, we can be a witness for you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, God bless you. The service is over. You're dismissed.